helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Certified Christian Counselor and Director of Ottawa's Elam Counseling Services. Hi, this is Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of the Life Transformation Radio Show. This is literally a show where chains are broken and lives are transformed. As usual, we have an interesting show lined up for you. Today's show is entitled Intergenerational Trauma, and we'll be talking with Viola Thomas, who works with Reconciliation Canada, about her experience in the residential school and what has been been done to facilitate emotional healing among people who have suffered in the residential school system. If you're not familiar with Elim Counseling Services, you can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com or call us at 613-699-1677. Before we go into today's show, I'd also like to remind you about our free conference that's coming up on the 26th of September. And in this conference, we'll be discussing anxiety and depression and how to deal with anxiety and depression. The best part about this is that this is a community conference and it's free so everyone can attend. However, we have limited seating so give us a call at 613-699-1677 to reserve your attendance. And this seven, this conference is not only for people who are suffering from mental health but for people who want to help others and people who want, want to become more equipped at helping maybe teenagers or helping their own children. And today the topic that we are going to be talking about uh, is something that is that we see a lot in our practice. We see where people of the the influence of one generation affects the other. So we are talking about intergenerational effects of trauma and our guest today is Viola Thomas. If you're not familiar with Viola, Viola works with Reconciliation Canada. Viola originates, I'll let her tell you a little bit more about where she originates from because I'm having difficulty pronouncing some of the words. So Viola, welcome to the Life Transformation Radio Show. Thank you, uh, Michael. First of all, I, I want to acknowledge the Algonquin Nation. Um, I'm calling in from unceded territory and uh, our elders always remind us to acknowledge the territory that we're in. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from the uh, Shaquapanek Nation, which is east of um, Vancouver in British Columbia. We're one of 27 distinct tribal nations in British Columbia. And uh, I attended the uh, same residential school as my mother, uh, the late uh, Mary Louise Thomas. And... Um, at the time that she went, uh, it was known as the Camelops Industrial School, mm-hmm. and I attended along with her, uh, 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 with my other seven siblings. We all went to the same school, which was operated by the uh, Catholic Church. All right, before we get into your experience, Viola, and maybe a little bit more about your mother's experience as well, can you talk a little bit about the work, the involvement that you, you, you have with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission at present? I had the uh, opportunity to work with the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission for the past um, seven years. In fact, uh, I was one of the first employees that was hired and one of the longest-serving employees over the seven-year period of the Truth Commission. And it really um, came about as a result of um, a number of um, class action suits uh, that were brought forward through the courage of 
survivors in different parts of the country from the East Coast as well as um, from the West Coast, from British Columbia. Um, and uh, by 2001, there were 8,500 um litigations occurring across the country, uh, litigating against the church as well as the government. And um, the church and the government realized, you know, that they needed to sit down and have a conversation uh, to see which ways they could mitigate um, all of these uh, class, these legal litigations that were going on. And so they negotiated uh, what's referred to as the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. And and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was born out of that settlement agreement. And so they had uh, uh, um, a legal mandate to uh, carry out truth-telling uh, across the country uh, by hosting seven national events, as well as establishing a Truth and Reconciliation Center that would house the truth um, that survivors have shared from across the country. So talk about survivors. So I'm getting the impression here that a, a, a lot of survivors were coming out and talking about the, how they were disadvantaged, the, the trauma that they suffered uh, at, in these residential schools. And this give, give birth to the lawsuits that happened. And then from there, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was launched. So I, I, I wanted to, in the interest of time, to, to ask you to talk... Uh, a little bit about your your personal experience because you said that your mother was a part of that residential school system and your you as well was part of that that system would you like to go into uh, telling us a little bit about what your experiences were well uh, for myself personally by the time that i attended um um there was a shift going on in the school. So a lot of the uh, trauma that I experienced uh, wasn't as as deep as what my mother had gone through or my older siblings. Um, mm-hmm. I, in the early stages of the residential schools, um, they, uh, there were no type of uh, regulations in place to really protect the children. And uh, whenever there were uh, uh, reporting done to the police uh, regarding any type of sexual abuses, the, the standard practice would be to relocate um, the person that was involved in, in uh, uh, um, abusing the children, whether it was physically or, or sexually. Mm-hmm. For myself, it was, uh, I think, more uh, psychological with the indoctrinization of the Catholic religion being imposed on me and my family. Mm-hmm. And when you're a child and you don't understand, um, you know, the teachings of that particular faith in the way that is presented, um, it was very uh, uh, scary for me as a child. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it affected me, for example, uh, I was five years old when I was taken. And when I would go outside to play, uh, in the residential schools, we had these old-style merry-go-rounds, and they would bang against the pole. And as a child, I used to think that that was the devil riding on that mare. So I was always in a state of fear, uh, not realizing that was only nature uh, that was causing that merry-go-round to bang against the pole. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an incident uh, where I experienced uh, uh, playing with my other cousins at the school um, 
we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and I seen a, a cat in a nun's uh, garage, and I thought that was the devil, because the cat's eyes uh, are lit up at night. And so that really terrified me, and I went to tell my uh, dorm supervisor that I had seen the devil, and of course she she thought I was I was lying, and she said, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson to try and lie like that. And she grabbed me and took me and dunked my head into a toilet bowl. So it's so for me it was more the physical kind of violence, um, uh, the rigidity in which that school operated that that created a whole sense of insecurity and um, fear. Um, and uh, uh, and I think the whole idea of being taken, you know, for me personally, for my family. I was just thinking about that when you talk about your experience of seeing that the cat's eyes, because in, in a normal situation, what would happen is that you would have the comfort of your, your mother, you'd be able to talk to your mother about what you saw, and you would be, it would be explained to you in a way that helped to alleviate that fear. But here you are, as a young child, seeing something that scared you and going to the authorities in the residential school to talk about it and you were further traumatized by uh, you said having having your head dunked in in it was was it in a toilet that you said yes well yes. that that is so horrific it's hard for me to even put it into words because it, it sounds it so also, strange you know the the separation of of siblings because we weren't allowed to communicate with each other within the school so not only were you was I taken from my from my family, my community? But even if I seen my my brothers and sisters, um, we weren't allowed to communicate with each other. So, you know, you were always in a state of loneliness. So not only uh, was I not getting the proper care in terms of diet or nurturing, mm-hmm. it was compounded by that deep sense of loss as a child and not having you know, any opportunity to be close to your relatives if you've mm-hmm, seen them at mm-hmm. the same school. Yes. Um, the food part was really uh, horrible because uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't nutritious and it created a, a sense of competition amongst the children because uh, the folks who operated the schools got better food. And so it created this competition with us as children because we would devise ways so that if we got to serve the, the, the nuns and the priests and the folks who operated the school, because they always got the better food, then we would, we would make deals with each other and say, okay, well, we're going to steal that food so that after we, we serve them, we'll take whatever is left over and we would share it with with the other kids back in our dorm. Mm-hmm. So there was always this sort of sense of um, uh, bullying and rigid uh, competition um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you never knew what how you were going to be humiliated as a child um, because you you know you weren't allowed to to. Um, uh, share in any of your 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 cultural 
traditions at the school. You, uh, everything was was imposed. To right. So, so as you think back to that kind of a, uh, a situation where here you are, you're separated from your parents, you're in a strange place, but to, to compound the, the situation even worse, your siblings are there, but you're separated. You can't talk with your siblings, so you're further being uh, psychologically abused by that. As you, you think back to that situation and what you went through as a child in that situation, is there a day that you would say, this day stands out in my memory as the the, the, the worst day, the day when, you know, things for me hit rock bottom? You mean while I attended? Yes, school? while you were there well, as I a think, child. Uh, the worst uh, part for me was not being able to attend my grandmother's funeral. Hmm. I can hear like you're choking up there as you, you talk about that. You were not able to attend your grandmother's funeral. Hmm. What are you feeling right now as you, you talk about that, Viola? That loss. Mm-hmm. That loss that is imposed on you as an individual. Your rights were taken away and you were separated from your family to the point where you, you couldn't grieve the, the loss of your grandmother. That must have been so hard for you to to experience. And, yeah, I, I think it was, um, I guess, just the fact that the whole intent of the schools was to separate family mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, m- turn you into a white person. Hmm. I, I think there is this misunderstanding within our culture that uh, the people who have had those kind of horrific experiences, that it's time for them to move on, that these things happened in the past, and people look at some of the unhealthy choices that are are being made by people within the native communities, and the high rate of suicides in those communities, the, the, the drinking of alcohol, the addictions, and so forth, and uh, seem to think that these people are uh, just not ambitious, or they should just get over things and move on. But I guess when you talk about the the, the kind of trauma that that you experience, I think there, the it, it it makes sense that there is going to be long lasting effects. Can you talk a, a, about what are your understanding of some of the 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 effects from these residential schools that are that are now being lived out in in this present generation? In other words, how it affects people today? Well, I think uh, there is uh, uh, a direct connection to uh, the high abduction of, of children to this day uh, into child welfare um, institutions. And, and uh, in fact, um, 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 one of the uh, statistics uh, that has recently come out point to the fact that there are more children in the child welfare system today than there was at the peak of residential schools. So when you're looking at a, an estimated 150,000 First Nations, Inuit, Métis children from across the country being abducted from their families and being forcibly abducted because they didn't have a choice. Parents and grandparents didn't have a choice because mm-hmm. it was legislated. It was the law of, yes. the, of this country. Um, and it also has a, a direct linkage to the continued high push-out rates of children uh, succeeding in, in the current education systems across the country. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you grew up with um, no proper education standards, within, you didn't have the same resources as the mainstream public schools. 
many of the residential schools were poorly funded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's a direct linkage there. And then it's, it's combined with the over-incarceration rate of, of both um, uh, women and uh, men and, and, and young um, Indigenous peoples right across the country because, you know, parents uh, to the, and grandparents uh, never had the opportunity uh, to have the kind of nurturing that most Canadians would access within families. So and that's, such a, that's such an important point, Vela. I'd like to, 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 to uh, just talk about that a little bit, the nurturing that people miss when they're in these kind of uh, environment, in these residential schools. There is this, uh, your, your children are institutionalized. They don't have the impact of a, a loving mother. They don't have the sense of community, of being with grandparents and siblings. So there is this isolation that is there. But I think from a psychological perspective, they're, they're also missing the patterning, the, the, the examples of how to be a good mother, how to be a good father. And do you see how this is having effect well, in, in it's, generations it's, today? It's, it's compounded because, first of all, can you imagine uh, growing up in a community where you don't hear the laughter of children? So it had an impact on the grandparents and the parents mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. having no children in their communities. Then it gets compounded by what do the children actually learn mm-hmm. in these institutions and, and their, their influence by the way that uh, they're treated, because there's no nurturing, there's no respect. Uh, you're constantly being um, um, uh, alluded to as if, uh, y- y- you know, you, y- you don't have any self, uh, self-dignity. Uh, so when you come out of these institutions as an adult after mm-hmm. being um, imprisoned, Yes. Um, you come out damaged uh, because it it has that. It also invokes challenges, you know, around around the um, uh, addiction rates, around um, the the high rates of despair and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, if you're, it, it also gets compounded uh, when you've had children also abusing children because that's what they've learned in the institutions. And that's such an important point, so right? So there's a there's a vicious cycle yeah. of abuse that goes on. They see children mm-hmm. see be, are abused by adults, then they repeat the same thing. They don't have health patterning, so they 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 continue that same kind of unhealthy behavior that they see from their their the, those who are in charge of them. And then if you fast forward into when these children become parents, then you can just understand the the negative effects that these kind of experiences will have on how they in turn parent their children. That's right. But uh, I think the other thing that uh, what's important for, for folks to appreciate is mm-hmm. that uh, you know, these residential schools were started at the same time as the formation of Canada, which was in 1867. Mm-hmm. By the 19- 1820s, um, you had the Roman Catholic Protestant um, uh, establish uh, schools in the prairies as well as in northern regions of the country in British Columbia. And by 1883, you know, we already have like close to 80 residential schools uh, established, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and and the last one didn't close until 1996. So that's, you know, 
seven generations of families mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. communities that have been deeply um, wounded by, by, by this trauma intergenerationally. Uh, you have expressed that so eloquently, and thank you for for you know giving us those details. Because sometimes we tend to think it's just a surface issue that was recently started, and that it was just a few people that went through it. But you are painting a picture here of a very systemic uh, abuse that goes back to the very origin of our, our nation. So at the beginning of the show, we mentioned the fact that you're with the, the Truth and Reconciliation, you're with Reconciliation Canada. Uh, what steps are being taken to halt the intergenerational curse that has been has, has been existing as a result of the trauma that has been suffered by, by these generations so far? Well, one of the, uh, one of the things that Reconciliation Canada uh, is, is, is is fostering uh, reconciliation dialogue circles and the idea of having reconciliation dialogue circles is to recognize um, that uh, um, all Canadians uh, require reconciliation, not just Indigenous peoples, because we recognize um, as a not-for-profit national charitable organization that there have been many atrocities, not just with Indigenous peoples, but with uh, Asian people, South Asian people, Japanese people. And if reconciliation is to have a meaningful uh, movement in this country, you can't really legislate reconciliation because in order to to cultivate reconciliation, we need to nurture uh, uh, empathy and, and, and a deep understanding of the truth of what's happened with Canadian people as well as Indigenous peoples. And so the idea is to have those um, opportunities, to have those conversations so that what comes out of those conversations is a commitment for uh, reconciliation action plans. And so we're quite excited and we're quite hopeful. British Columbia has committed to doing 100 um, dialogue circles with all their municipalities in British Columbia. Uh, we recently had uh, 100 non-Indigenous employees from the city of Ottawa mm-hmm. participate in information sharing with the hope that in the fall they'll commit to a dialogue circle. So I think part of that is is, is uh, providing that opportunity to have conversations with each other to to share our humanity. And I think um, that's such an important first step, Viola, because uh, in, uh, if people don't know the extent of the 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 wound, the psychological wound that have been suffered and how pervasive uh, this wound is, then they can't make the adequate step to begin to, to treat it or to put uh, s- uh, solutions in place. So I think it, it's such a very important uh, step to begin to have to have that dialogue. Where do we go from there, though? Like after this dialogue, after making these uh, situations known to Canadians, uh, what what what's the next step? Well, I think it's a, a shared a shared responsibility in terms of uh, reaching that that uh, shared history um, of truth telling with each other. Uh, in moving forward, it's it's. Uh, providing opportunities uh, to, uh, to, to provide a safe space for those dialogues to happen between Canadians, mm-hmm. because I, I think uh, part of the challenge is, is that most Canadians don't know their shared truth. 
and and so I think I think that's a critical part of that process. Absolutely. And, and when we can reach that that common sense of understanding from our shared humanity, that's that's when reconciliation will will meaningfully happen. Right. So we're talking about at a societal level having that knowledge and having steps toward. Uh, announcing the truth or making the truth known but you talked earlier about uh, children leaving these schools damaged you talked about the rate of depression that there a lot of these kids were depressed you talked about also the pattern of abuse that has continued uh, by children who who lived this abuse in these residential schools is there any kind of step that has been taken to bring mental health uh, healing to these people who have suffered tremendously at, at the, the hands of this I system? Think, I think that there is a, a greater recognition um, in terms of uh, health support uh, survivors, whether it's in relation to uh, mental health, uh, that, that uh, rebuilding indigenous ways of knowing and cultural practices mm-hmm. has had a great influence in, in helping to recover from this trauma. And um, recently the premiers uh, all met on the East Coast and they've all committed to following through on the 94 recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action. And there are a large number of those recommendations um, uh, incorporating, um, uh, supporting um, indigenous ways of healing practices um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that address um, those challenges through our cultural diversities, through our ceremonies, uh, and through our cultural revival in terms of rebuilding language and rebuilding those sense of uh, uh, dignity for our people. So I'm so happy to hear that not only is there the awareness, but there is actually uh, plans in place to within within your culture, within the culture of the natives, to begin to to bring healing. Avila, we are almost out of time to today, and I, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Live Transformation Radio Show and for sharing your story and for bringing this awareness to what have been been suffered by people in this country because sometimes we see this kind of uh, ugliness as being something that is foreign that happens abroad in different places but I think you have shed some light here of, of the evil that has, that has happened within our country as well so thank you very much and uh, I just pray that God would bless you in, in the work that you're doing and that you, you would continue to, to work to bring healing to your community in in all that you're doing to help. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on uh, on your show. I think the word transformation is is a good word, and 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 this is what we hope is that is that uh, between Indigenous peoples and all Canadians, that meaningful transformation will happen in a good way for everyone. Thank you very much, Velo. God bless you. So thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Life Transformation Radio Show. This is your heart, my, This is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services. Uh, uh, and today we have discussed a very important issue, the issue of intergenerational trauma. And you have heard Viola's story of what, Viola Thomas' story of what she has suffered uh, in the residential schools. You have heard also what the, 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 
the, her people uh, suffered in, in these residential schools. So next week, we are going to continue to talk about uh, intergenerational trauma and looking at, uh, at what the Bible says about about intergenerational trauma. And we'll talk about some of the cure that 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 can can happen around intergenerational trauma. In my practice, I see Canadians who are suffering, who grew up in in families outside of these residential schools that are suffering from intergenerational trauma as well. So it's it's something that goes goes across a wide spectrum of this society. So we'll be talking about this next week. And I want to thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Life Transformation Radio Show. And God bless you. And until next time, I pray that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.